In answer to Poirot's call, Barbara Amory appeared outside the French windows. What is it? Has something else happened? she asked. Poirot gave her his most winning smile. Ah, mademoiselle, he said, I wonder if you might be able to spare my colleague Hastings for just a little minute or two, perhaps. Barbara's reply was accompanied by a skittish glance. So, you want to take my little pet away from me, do you? Just for a very short time, mademoiselle, I promise you. Then you shall, monsieur Poirot. Turning back into the garden, Barbara called, My pet, you're wanted. I thank you. Poirot smiled again with a polite bow. Barbara returned to the garden, and a few moments later Hastings entered the library through the French windows, looking somewhat ashamed. "'And what have you to say for yourself?' Poirot asked in a tone of mock annoyance. Hastings attempted an apologetic smile. "'It is all very well to put on the grin of the sheep,' Poirot admonished him. "'I leave you here, on guard, and the next thing I know you are promenading yourself with that very charming young lady in the garden.' You are generally the most reliable of men, mon cher, but as soon as a pretty young woman appears upon the scene, your judgment flies out of the window, Zutalar. Hastings' sheepish grin faded, to be replaced by a blush of embarrassment. I say, I'm, I'm awfully sorry, Poirot, he exclaimed. I, I just stepped outside for a second, and th then I saw you through the window coming into the room, so I thought it didn't matter. You mean you thought it better not to return to face me, declared Poirot. Well, my dear Hastings, you may have done the most irreparable damage. I found Carelli in here. The good Lord alone knows what he was doing or what evidence he was tampering with. Oh, I say, Poirot, I really am sorry. Hastings apologized again. I'm most awfully sorry. If you have not done the damage irreparable, it is more by good luck than for any other reason. But now, mon ami, the moment has come when we must employ our little grey cells. Pretending to smack Hastings on the cheek, Poirot in fact gave his colleague an affectionate pat. Ah, oh, good, let's get to work, Hastings exclaimed. No, it is not good, my friend, Poirot told him. It is bad. It is obscure. His face wore a troubled look as he continued. It is dark, as dark as it was last night. He thought for a moment and then added, But yes, I think there is perhaps an idea, the germ of an idea. Yes, we will start there. Looking completely mystified, Hastings asked, what on earth are you talking about? The tone of Poirot's voice changed. He spoke gravely and thoughtfully. Why did Sir Claude die, Hastings? Answer me that. Why did Sir Claude die? Hastings stared at him. But we know that, he exclaimed. Do we? asked Poirot. Are you so very sure? Uh, yes, Hastings responded, though somewhat uncertainly. He died, um... Well, he, he died because he was poisoned. Poirot made an impatient gesture. Yes, but why was he poisoned? Hastings thought carefully before replying. Then, well, surely it must have been because the thief suspected... He began. Poirot slowly shook his head as Hastings continued. Because the thief suspected that he'd been discovered. 
He broke off again as he observed Poirot continuing to shake his head. Suppose, Hastings, Poirot murmured, just suppose that the thief did not suspect. Why, I don't quite see, Hastings confessed. Poirot moved away and then turned back with his arm raised in a gesture that seemed intended to hold his friend's attention. He paused and cleared his throat. Let me recount to you, Hastings, he declared, the sequence of events as they might have gone, or rather as I think they were meant to go. Hastings sat in the chair by the table as Poirot continued. Sir Claude dies in his chair one night. Poirot moved to the armchair, sat, and paused for a moment before repeating thoughtfully, Yes, Sir Claude dies in his chair. There are no suspicious circumstances attending that death. In all probability it will be put down to heart failure. It will be some days before his private papers are examined. His will is the only document that will be searched for. After the funeral, in due course, it will be discovered that his notes on the new explosive are incomplete. It may never be known that the exact formula existed. You see what that gives to our thief, Hastings? Yes. What? asked Poirot. Hastings looked puzzled. What? he repeated. Security. That is what it gives the thief. He can dispose of his booty quite safely, whenever he wishes to. There is no pressure upon him. Even if the existence of the formula is known, he will have had plenty of time to cover his tracks. Well, it, it's an idea, yes, I, I, I suppose so, Hastings commented in a dubious tone. But naturally it is an idea. Am I not Hercule Poirot? But see now where this idea leads us. It tells us that the murder of Sir Claude was not a chance manure executed on the spur of the moment. It was a plan beforehand. Beforehand. You see now where we are. No, Hastings admitted with an engaging candor. You know very well I never see these things. I, mean, I know that we're in the library of Sir Claude's house, and that's all. Yes, my friend, you are right, Poirot told him. We are in the library of Sir Claude Amory's house. It is not morning, but evening. The lights have just gone out. The thief's plans have gone awry. Poirot sat very upright and wagged his forefinger emphatically to emphasize his points. Sir Claude, who in the normal course of things, would not have gone to that safe until the following day, has discovered his loss by a mere chance. And as the old gentleman himself said, the thief is caught like a rat in a trap. Yes, but the thief, who is also the murderer, knows something, too, that Sir Claude does not. The thief knows that in a very few minutes Sir Claude will be silenced forever. He or she has one problem that has to be solved, and one only, to hide the paper safely during those few moments of darkness. Shut your eyes, Hastings, as I shut mine. The lights have gone out. We can see nothing, but we can hear. Repeat to me, Hastings, as accurately as you can, 
the words of Miss Emery when she described the scene for us. Hastings shut his eyes. Then he began to speak, slowly, with an effort of memory and several pauses. Uh, gasps, he uttered. Poirot nodded. Uh, a lot of little gasps, Hastings went on, and Poirot nodded again. Hastings concentrated for a time and then continued, The noise of a chair falling, uh, a metallic clink, uh, that must have been the key, I imagine. Quite right, said Poirot, the key, continue. Uh, a scream. No, that was Lucia screaming. She called out to Sir Claude. Uh, then the knocking came at the door. Uh, oh, wait a moment. Uh, right at the beginning, the noise of tearing silk. Hastings opened his eyes. Yes. Tearing silk, Poirot exclaimed. He rose, moved to the desk, and then crossed to the fireplace. It is all there, Hastings, in those few moments of darkness. All there. And yet our ears tell us nothing. He stopped at the mantelpiece and mechanically straightened the vase of spills. Oh, do stop straightening those damn things, Poirot, Hastings complained. You're always at it. His attention arrested. Poirot removed his hand from the vase. Ah, what is that you say? he asked. Yes, it is true. He stared at the vase of spills. I remember straightening them but a little hour ago, and now it is necessary that I straighten them again. He spoke excitedly. Why, Hastings? Why is that? Well, because they're crooked, I suppose, Hastings replied in a bored tone. It's just your little mania for neatness. Tearing silk exclaimed Poirot. No, he seems. This sound is the same. He stared at the paper spills and snatched up the bars that contained them. Tearing paper, he continued as he moved away from the mantelpiece. His excitement communicated itself to his friend. What is it? Hastings asked, springing up and moving to him. Poirot stood, tumbling out the spills onto the settee and examining them. Every now and then he handed one to Hastings, muttering, Here is one. Here, ah, another. And yet another. Hastings unfolded the spills and scrutinized them. C-19, N-23, he began to read aloud from one of them. Yes, yes, exclaimed Poirot. It is the formula. I say, that's wonderful. Quick, fold them up again, Poirot ordered, and Hastings began to do so. Oh, you are so slow, Poirot admonished him. Quick, quick. Snatching the spills from Hastings, he put them back into the vase and hastened to return it to the mantelpiece. Looking dumbfounded, Hastings joined him there. Poirot beamed. It intrigues you what I do there, yes? Tell me, Hastings, what is it that I have here in this vase? Why, spills, of course, Hastings replied in a tone of tremendous irony. No, mon ami. It is cheese. Cheese? Precisely, my friend. Cheese. I say, Poirot, Hastings inquired sarcastically, you're all right, aren't you? I mean, you haven't got a headache or anything. Poirot's reply ignored his friend's frivolous question. For what do you use cheese, Hastings? I will tell you, mon ami. You use it to bait 
Emma's trap. We wait now for one thing only. The mouse. And the mouse? The mouse will come, my friend, Poirot assured Hastings. Rest assured of that. I have sent him a message. He will not fail to respond. Before Hastings had time to react to Poirot's cryptic announcement, the door opened and Edward Rayner entered the room. Oh, you're here, Monsieur Poirot, the secretary observed, and Captain Hastings also. Inspector Jap would like to speak to you both upstairs. We will come at once, Poirot replied. Followed by Hastings, he walked to the door as Rayner entered the library and crossed to the fireplace. At the door, Poirot suddenly wheeled round to look at the secretary. By the way, Mr. Rayner, the detective asked as he moved back to the centre of the room, do you by any chance know whether Dr. Carrelli was here in the library at all this morning? Yes, he was, Rayner told the detective. I found him here. Ah, Poirot seemed pleased at this. And what was he doing? Why, he was telephoning, I believe. Was he telephoning when you came in? No, he was just coming back into the room. He'd been in Sir Claude's study. Poirot considered this for a moment and then asked Rayner, Where exactly were you then? Uh, can you remember? Still standing by the fireplace, Rayner replied, Oh, somewhere about here, I think. Did you hear any of Dr. Courage's conversation on the phone? No, said the secretary. He made it perfectly clear that he wanted to be alone, so I cleared out. I see. Poirot hesitated and then took a notebook and pencil from his pocket. Writing a few words on a page, he tore it out. Hastings, he called. Hastings, who had been hovering by the door, came to him, and Poirot gave his friend the folded page. Would you be so kind as to take that up to Inspector Shap? Rayner watched Hastings leave the room on his errand and then asked, what was that all about? Putting the notebook and pencil back in his pocket, Poirot replied, I told Jap that I would be with him in a few minutes, and that I might be able to tell him the name of the murderer. Really? You know who it is? asked Rayner in a state of some excitement. There was a momentary pause. Hercule Poirot seemed to hold the secretary under the spell of his personality. Rayner watched the detective fascinated as he slowly began to speak. Yes, I think I know who the murderer is. At last, Poirot announced. I am reminded of another case not so long ago. Never shall I forget the killing of Lord Edgware. I was nearly defeated, yes, I, Hercule Poirot, by the extremely simple cunning of a vacant brain. You see, Monsieur Reynaud, the very simple-minded have often the genius to commit an uncomplicated crime and then leave it alone. Let us hope that the murderer of Sir Claude, on the other hand, is intelligent and superior and thoroughly pleased with himself and unable to resist, how do you say, painting the lily. Poirot's eyes lit up in vivid animation. I'm not sure that I understand you, said Rayner. You mean to say that it's not Mrs. Amory? No, it is not Mrs. Amory, Poirot told him. That is why I wrote my little note. That poor lady has suffered enough. She must be spared any further questioning. Rayner looked thoughtful and then exclaimed, Then I'll bet it's Corelli, yes? Poirot wagged a finger at him playfully. 
Monsieur Reynaud, you must permit me to keep my little secret until the last moment. Taking out a handkerchief, he mopped his brow. Oh, mon Dieu, how hurt it is today, he complained. Would you like a drink? asked Rainer. I'm forgetting my manners. I should have offered you one earlier. Poirot beamed. You are very kind. I will have a whiskey, please, if I may. Certainly. Just a moment. Rainer left the room while Poirot wandered across to the French windows and looked out into the garden for a moment. Then, moving to the settee, he shook the cushions before drifting across to the mantelpiece to examine the ornaments. <laughs>